All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the COD Cabin. Uh, we hope you all had a fantastic 4th of July. Uh, today, we have one of the Republicans running in the 4th Congressional District, retired Air Force Colonel Julie Hall. Colonel Hall, welcome to the COD Cabin. Well, thank you. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Uh, we're very happy to have you um, today. Just to start things off, would you like to introduce uh, yourself to our viewers and listeners uh, on your background and experience? Sure, thank you, I appreciate that. Well, I grew up right here, close by in Walpole, and I came from a large family, very large working class, seven brothers and sisters. So that's uh, kind of starts it off a little bit. It, with that many children in the family, my parents had to work, my father in particular worked two jobs, and then my mother also worked, and they wanted to make sure that you know we could get through pretty much to put bread on the table, things like that. Uh, so I think, you know, that's a little thing that makes me different than a lot of the other candidates that you're gonna have here is, I really come from that sort of environment. I tell people all the time, I sort of chuckle a little bit. I said, for goodness sakes, I live in a condominium. I said, how, how much more middle class can you get than, than living in a small condominium in a middle class neighborhood? But it did, it took me babysitting money and working i started working since i was 14 years old and i don't think you all will remember this some of you might sullivan stadium oh, that was before i've heard of that that's a that's a that's bring back something that does yes so that was the original stadium um in massachusetts and i lived right in south walpole so i could walk up there and i actually we sold hot dogs I didn't go around as a vendor, but behind the scenes. And so I got my working permit when I was 14. So I started also, because I realized that in order for me to get to college or to do anything, that I was gonna to have to work. Um, so I did, and I also babysat a lot, and I saved up my money, and I went to Massasoit Community College. And I love, I'm a huge advocate of community college. And I know you all at Wheaton, I've been over Wheaton before, what a wonderful campus. I have done some some things over there. It's a beautiful campus for any of you that don't know. Um, nice place. Good business school, right? Uh, we're moving into the psychology aspect right now. Um, we used to be a business school, um, but you know, we're trying out psychology. That's a new hot thing right there. <laughs> really interesting. Well, I, I actually have a degree in psychology. There you go. So one of my one of my degrees, we'll get onto that, I think, in a little bit. Um, but you know, I went to Massachusetts Community College and I started off in human resource management. I did pretty well, but I didn't want to go into that field. I think at that time, the only thing available would be like casework. I didn't have a degree, you know, I wasn't a social worker. I didn't have a, a PhD or any of that stuff. I just had an associates, which is a wonderful thing. So I decided to go, that, at that time, I decided to go in the military. And originally went into the military because I wanted to finish my school. And I thought that was the place to do it. And also to serve my country. But, you know, what you go in for and why you stay are two different things. And when I went in, there weren't many women at all. This was back in the, the 70s. There were very, very few women that went in the military and even less that made a career out of it. So I started at the very bottom, which was airmen, no stripes, no nothing, and made it up to colonel. So that was a really challenging thing to do for somebody that came in during the time that I did. The challenges that I had to overcome to do that, but I did and I 
and I'm very proud of that. And it's put me in a great place in terms of, you know, taking care of myself now, healthcare, pensions, those kinds of things. But while I was in there, I had great experiences. And I think that's what makes me a little bit different also. I have wonderful experiences. I left, been out of the country, so I got to see how other people live. And when I, when I first started seeing the difference between how other people lived and the freedoms they did not have and the freedoms that we have, and particularly women, um, I just really, that's when I really decided that this is, this, this is the greatest company, this, this is the greatest country in the world, and there is a lot of opportunities here. So I had a lot to compare it to. And people don't realize that there are still countries out there where women they're considered, and, you know, so for me in particular, you know, people sort of try to, they focus in on their own things that are important to them. And for, for me in particular, that was a big deal because I worked in a country that the women were not treated, in my estimation, properly. A lot of the American women that were there were, we were kind of going through that, that phase of, you know, we're going to be career women and so forth. That was just coming along. And to then be, go to a country where you sort of get set back a little bit it's it's depressing to be quite honest with you to be in that environment so but the other good things that i had in the military were that obviously my education i went on to get my education i got a uh, degree in psychology and that from the university of maryland and there's a sort of a joke because this university of maryland's all of the world so when you say i went to the one in college park that's the real one that's actually where the first uh university of maryland is so go to College Park, I joined ROTC, and it's at that time that I became an officer. So up until this time, when I was enlisted, I was a behavioral health specialist. So everything was kind of falling into line, if you look at it. I'm kind of going into the psych degree. I have a behavioral health specialist uh, training. So here I have an education and some training. So six and a half years of training and an education. So if I had decided to get out at that point in time, you know, there was something I probably could have gone into. But I did stay in, um, became an officer, and became a hospital administrator, which is just a wonderful thing, especially with what we're going through right now with the healthcare system and talking about socialized medicine or taxpayer medicine. You can call it what you want. But I worked in one of the largest fully taxpayer-funded healthcare systems, and I can you, it doesn't work. We could not control our costs even with that. And we were able to control the largest part of it, which was the salaries. That is the largest part of any budget is the salaries. Because of our rank system, we were able to control that because you got paid by your rank, not by, you know, if you were a neurosurgeon or a plastic surgeon. So for civilians, yes, those different, different specialties get paid different, large different amounts of money. That did not, doesn't happen in the military. And even with that, our costs still went up. Because every other thing that gets thrown into what becomes a healthcare visit, you would have to control every aspect of it. You know, pharmaceuticals, Band-Aids, you know, uh, the air conditioning, you know, everything, water. You would have to control all of that. And you just, you just can't. So you have to look for other ways to, um, be, you know, get things. That almost, if you would be paying 
your entire amount of money that we paid if it was taxpayers funded would all go to healthcare and probably nothing else because that's how expensive it can get. So what you do is you try to work the market forces and that's how the market forces work together. And I could go into a whole, more than, more than you probably want to hear because that's what I did for a living. So for 30 years, that's what I did. I even published an article on uh, resource allocation of healthcare. So I, I really understand line by line, if you would, what goes into making that what it is. And it's very complicated. So when people say, oh, it's easy, it's not easy. It's not an easy fix. It is going to take a, a lot of uh, a lot of doings because there's so many things that are connected to each other. So I did that. I was able to go back to college while I was in the military and got my I got double masters. Actually, I got the first double masters program at Washington University um, School of Medicine in St. Louis. So I did go there. From there, I went back to my uh, another base. And what you do is they send you to school. You get to tag another three or four years on, on, but I was staying. So to me, it was like, listen, anything you got, you got there for me, I'll take it. And um, and by doing that, I really got to, to benefit a lot from the military. I also got an internship after that at Johns Hopkins, which was unbelievable uh, for me to be able to do that. And all the time I was in the military and all the time gaining more, more experience. So, um, I did spend a lot of time in Washington, D.C. I have already done reports that were there for congressional, you know, for my bosses in particular, who had to go to Congress and explain why our healthcare, why our healthcare bills keep going up. So I was there to talk about those kinds of things. I prepared information for that. There were a few things that based I had been at that they were trying to do some kind of a joint civilian military thing and it was the first time it had been done and I had just left from that base so you know I worked with our uh, Secretary of Health Affairs who's one of the you know people that would give testimony to Congress to, to tell her a little bit about what was going on and hey it's not a thing you can't do it Not legal or it's not there's you know discussions that go on and, and things and it ended up being a really good thing for healthcare in that area it was a very small town and they really did need to partner up there was no reason why they shouldn't have worked together so anyways I, I did a lot of things I've worked in Aravac for a while which is probably you know um, the mash units when the helicopters come in and they're picking people up but we had a big network system of C9s and those C9s would fly with big red crosses on them. And we went all over the United States picking up patients. That was pretty exciting. The good thing that I was in there during a time where we just started getting into, I, want, I don't want to say support, so, support of, of wartime things or skirmishes and things. There was a lot of, a lot of things going on in the world that what would happen is they would calculate, and it's very interesting the way they do it, they actually calculate when they go into a jump, for instance, you got 60, 70 guys jumping, or gals jumping out of a, you know, a, a C-130, they can actually say by the, where you, how low they're, how low they're jumping, they can 
calculate how many people they think are going to break a leg or and so being a medical person whenever we sent somebody in to do that we had to have a medical aircraft right behind it and so it was again I learned that a lot of these things like wars and skirmishes and foreign policies are things that sometimes are well well thought out before they before the average person even knows what's going on and you know we sit there and we say oh my gosh if something just broke out over you know in you know in uh, Saudi or something whereas you know being in the military we sort of knew you know that it was I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in real quick um, just first question off the bat um, one of your your only opponent David Rosa said earlier this week during an interview that um, her professional experience referring to you is very myopic. It's a little bit like staring down a very small tube and thinking you see the world and you don't. Um, I was wondering if you had any response to those comments. Oh, those are pretty big words. Um, you know, I think, you know, David is, and, and I don't know him well, I have to tell you, I don't know him well. Uh, I, so I can't really say anything bad about him or any of that. The only thing I do know about him is that he has run for this seat and other seats over and over and over again. Um, he, someone who's sort of a perpetual runner, I guess, or perennial, somebody said perennial runner, that he goes and he runs for offices. He just ran for two offices in his own town. We lost them both. So, I mean, I just, to me, I, I, I really kind of don't, I, like I said, I, I don't know much about him. I don't want to make a comment about him. I can only look at what I'm doing. Um, you know, I'm not sure what he is indicating by that. So yeah. some rare civility from a politician. All right. I'll give it to Adam for the next question. I mean, it's probably a nice guy, you know, Anyways, um, so one thing I am curious about, and I think that sets you apart from many other Republicans running in the Northeast, um, is your climate policy. Um, I look at your website, and it's very much in vain um, with Governor Baker's climate policy, a, a, an importance on the solarized mass project, um, pushing away from coal. Coal's not really big here in New England. It used to be, but not anymore. Um, I think there is an opportunity for Republicans to really jump on what Massachusetts Republicans have right now, but I don't see that within your own party, at least. Um, what drew you to a more, I would say, greener policy than many other Republicans? And what, if you get elected to Congress, um, what would be the way to say, hey, look, this is a pretty cool idea. This is something interesting that maybe we should try out. Yeah, I think it thinks we're asking because that's a. I when I was living in different parts of the United States, um, I had never been somewhere where there was gas, and it just frightened me. I have to tell you, I just maybe it was just the thought of it that gas coming into my house, it it it, did, it frightened me, and I I you know didn't know much about it then, but as I came back to um, Attleboro, there was a huge. Uh, um, difficulty with the Rehoboth compressor station. I don't know if you're aware of that, that's been going on. Yeah, yeah I heard about that um, when I was reading the Sun Chronicle uh, back in 2017, there was a big problem with the Rehoboth uh, compressor. Yes, and people didn't, you know, didn't want it in. And, and I, I didn't know. And when I, when there's something that I don't know a lot about, I really tend to research. I, I love doing research. I love reading. I know I, I loved going to college. 
I kept going to college. I loved it. Um, I'd go back if I'm waiting. To, yeah, I'd go back again, but um, uh, I, I enjoyed it. So I love learning new things. So I immediately set my mind to finding out about this. And I just said, it's not a good thing. Um, it's, I think it ruins some of the, you know, underneath, I, I felt like, you know, those pipes rupture and, and there is, you know, oil that comes out and I don't care what anybody says. I think that's, that's an issue. And, but I think more importantly, the wind and the hydropower, these are all things that we've used in Massachusetts before. This is the way our economy used to run. Now, I mean, I look right down in here in Alabama where I live. We got the, what, the 10 mile river here? That used to run all the mills. Um, and if you ever saw how our, our, you know, the people that came before us actually harnessed that water, it didn't take much to do it. They just did it with a couple of different um, sizes of bands, believe it or not. And, and so it's fascinating. And again, I don't see how the water uh, is gonna cause a problem with pollution, things like that. I know people, they talk about those little, those wind, the wind power and those blades and so forth. And somebody said something about, well, you know, birds, um, you know, can run into them. But, you, you know, you have to, listen, I'm a, and I'm a huge animal advocate. That's another thing too. People are saying, I'm a vegetarian. I mean, I'm a, Repub a Republican vegetarian. I mean, yeah. It's like you're talking to Teddy Roosevelt here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am. I'm a vegetarian because I am, I am a huge animal advocate. I just... I don't like any animal being in pain, if you would. Um, so, you know, when people told me that birds can fly in the blaze, I was like, oh, gosh, you know, there's always something. But, you know, you have to kind of balance it off. The thing that's different, the way I approach it is, it's expensive right now. And I think you need to let technology and the market forces come in and it's competition. Those are the kinds of things which I think are probably, you know, people say are very Republican, you know, that kind of stuff. I just think it's common economics in my mind. And I don't, I don't try to label those things. But you let the market forces do that because if you put the market forces towards it and they compete against each other, that's where we get a lot of entrepreneurial thoughts that happens. That's where that stuff comes from. And if we allow that to happen, I think we'll get to a place where it will be inexpensive or, or affordable. Right now, if you go to the average family and you say, hey, I want you to buy this you know, uh, $50,000 electric car, I think there's a lot of people out there that would love to do that from a moral standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, love to. But it's not the priority on their list when they have children that they have to feed and so forth. So that's you know, why we have to let the market come in and try to get that stuff down. Plus, as we move over, more jobs. We got a whole shift of new jobs that are going to come from this. Right, right. We're going to move it on to Logan so we can keep the ball rolling here. All oh, right. I'm sorry. I know we got long answers. Sorry, you have a lot to say. <laughs> Just go like this. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So Logan. Oh, um, yeah, Logan hi. in the corner. Yes. Um, hi. hi. Back in May, we saw the horrific murder of George Floyd. Since then, police brutality has become one of the most talked about issues in the country. What do you believe should be done to improve policing? And would you vote for Representative Justin Amash's bill to end qualified immunity? Okay, I didn't hear that the last part of it. Can you just repeat? Oh, I feel like the kitty cat in the back. I'm sorry. Hello. Um, would you vote for Representative Justin Amash's bill to end qualified immunity? 
you know, I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not real familiar with the qualified immunity bill. I can tell you, though, about the first part of that. I believe that I've worked a lot with the police departments here in the area, and a lot of the police departments here in the area do what's called POP, which is um, uh, policing. It's a, it's a certain type of, it's called problem-oriented policing, and it really works well. But to do it well, you have to have more money. They want more social workers. And, and you even hear that. If you, if you listen carefully to what's going on in Minnesota, they're talking about bringing in social workers and caseworkers and having those people sort of deal with those kinds of things first. So in a sense, they're almost doing the same thing. So what we're trying to do here, or what's trying to happen here in this area with the police is, they are trying to very hard bring in people that will be on their team right there with them so that when they go out, they go out to domestics, for instance, that's pretty dangerous. Anything could happen out there. And a, a police officer tries their very, very best to deal with those issues, marital issues. That's not really the right person, if you think about it. So what they were trying to do is to have a supplement, supplemental team to work with them so they can deal with all these issues together. I like the idea. Like I said, a lot of the police uh, departments in our area, so we're very lucky, and Attleboro, Mansfield, I think, I think even Norton does it, um, they're, they're, they're using it. So I think we need to support, we need to support our law enforcement people. One bad apple, you know, does not, in my mind, spoil the whole cart. We should not throw away law and order just because something bad happens. We'd have to throw everything out if, if you think about it, just because one thing happens. I think we definitely need to look at it. I believe it's definitely an issue. I would never be one to say that there aren't those kinds of issues. I've seen them. Um, I, when I've passed through the self sometimes, and I'm not just saying it's in the self, but sometimes you see a little bit more blatantly. So we definitely have some, some things to work on, but I think we need to realize what works properly and right and take from that. I think it's a real mistake also to take the resource officers out of the high schools. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you talk to any of those resource officers, there are sometimes children that won't talk to anyone else but those resource officers about things that are going on in their home, bad things. And taking those guys out of there, not a good thing. My opinion. I'm gonna pass it on to you, Jack. Moving on to another topic that's uh, really prevalent in the minds of voters right now. Uh, your coronavirus economic recovery plan is centered, and this is a quote from your website, around cutting red tape and repealing job-killing regulations. Uh, and I was just wondering if you could go into specifics about the types of jobs that you'd like to you know, stimulate with policy and what you'd like to bring back. I think the, the biggest thing is small business. I have a big focus on small business. So, I mean, people want to... You know, when people ask questions like that, they want me to talk broadly about knowing all the different bills, and I don't know all the different bills out there, so I'm sorry, I didn't, I'm gonna look it up now. But um, I do know about small business. I have worked with some of the small businesses here in Attleboro, when Attleboro was trying to bring its own economy back again. So three different businesses I worked with, um, one of them was the Skyrock Brewery, the other one was the um, Burgundian Waffles. I don't know if any of you know any of these. And then I have another small business I worked with, um, Pickled Willies, which is a, a, a small group of uh, uh, people. And it, and it is a small scale. Yes, it is. 
but I learned what some of the difficulties was, were with those people. So cutting red tape, for instance, with the truck vendor, the truck vendor has to get a, a license in every town and city that they want to take that truck. And now if you're a small business owner, you don't have the money or the time to go, you know, to every town and get a permit and go through public health and all that. So those are the kinds of things. Now, do, do I say that they shouldn't have to get checked? No, but I might make it regional. You know, you have a regional office and when you get a license, you get to go regionally. So things of that sort. That's what I mean by cutting red tape. Um, I did talk to a few business owners and I asked them, you know, what would make it easier for them. And that's what they said is, you know, getting rid of some of these regulations that we have to go through. Um, waiting, waiting. They always say waiting to get their certificates, waiting to get their public health um, licenses from the state or their, I know with Skyrock, we waited forever for them to get their alcohol from me, like alcohol and firearms or something in some place you never even, you know, think that, that that would come from. But it took a long time and they're waiting and they're paying rent and, and you know, they can't, they can't go to work. So it's things like that that we have to look at and try to make it easier. So I would like to do, one of the other things that they, uh, have in the state of Massachusetts is what they call community development block grants. I love the idea of that. And every year we get money that comes down from the state here in, in particular. You know, I was on the city council, so I knew about this and I just loved it. And each business, small business, would put in a business plan to the city and, you know, try to get some of the money. I think something very similar to that from a federal level could be worked out and try to get some of our small businesses that are trying to get back on their feet. Some of them are gone and that's devastating. They'll never come back again and, and that's unfortunate. But we've got to do something very, very quickly to those people that are just sort of holding on right now. So if I was there, I, that would be one of the first things I would do. People like to work. People feel good when they work. And you know, we, we have an obligation to try to keep an economy that allows them to do that. All right, uh, going to our second round of questions. Um, this is a topic that um, might not be something everyone wants to talk about, but it's gonna be top of mind, President Trump. Um, the governor um, is one of the most vocal critics of the president in the party. And he says he didn't vote for the president in 2016, and he probably won't vote for him this November. I know we have secret ballots in this country, so feel free to not answer this question, but did you vote for the president last time? Will you vote for him this time? And what grade, okay, what grade would you give his presidency? Um, as a economist, as someone that takes care of business, I definitely give him a high marks on business. As a leader, and somebody's gonna, you know, that treats people with respect, no, okay? And I say this to people. So, I mean, I can see the difference between someone who has some skills, and, and people will say, yeah, but we need both. Well, sometimes you don't get both. I would like to have both. I mean. From other presidents, I felt that they were nice people, but they had no business savvy. So to me, I kind of look at what a person brings to the table. I know there's people out there that think, how could you support a person that talks like that? You know, he's a businessman. Um, I'm looking at the economy. I want the economy. I want someone who I feel comfortable bringing the economy. As far as I'm concerned, he's done that. I don't try to defend him. I'm not Donald Trump. I'm gonna be working here in Massachusetts for the people of District 4. I can only tell you what I'm going to do. I have no idea, or does anybody that I know of, what Donald Trump 
is in his mind and what he's going to think next. So I would not speculate, not speculate on that at all. Um, I'm a Republican because, and I, and I tell people this, um, because I am a fiscal conservative. And I think that's come across pretty clear. I'm a fiscal conservative. It's the way I like to look at money. When I was a high school administrator, I felt that this was taxpayers' money and that it was my responsibility to make sure your money was spent properly. You were not there watching me spend it, but yet I still felt obligated to do that. Now, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm just saying if all of our elected officials felt that same way, that they are really no kidding accountable to the American people, um, we may not have some of the problems that we have in some, in, in some of our programs. Um, so I feel, I felt very, very good about that, that I, that's why I'm, you know, a fiscal conservative. I'm also, you know, I'll answer this one right here because you probably saw this second amendment. To me, Massachusetts, I used to go and brag about Massachusetts when I was in the military because I said, this is the place where the first shot heard around the world, you know, where, you know, we fought back the English because they were coming to take our arms. To me, it's, a, it's something cultural in the state of Massachusetts that no other, no other state has. Um, so I'm, I'm very much a, you know, an advocate to the Second Amendment. And so that, you know, that's another thing. And so there's two checks on the, on the, Republic, the Republican side. Um, but if you look at some of my other policies and some of the ways I feel, I mean, my goodness, like I said, I'm a huge animal advocate. I, you know, believe in the hydropower and water power. I, I look at those kinds of things. And there's probably some other things that, you know, are very progressive that people would consider very progressive. Um, something in particular, because I was in the military, I met people of all color, of all races, of all sexual orientations, and we all work together. So I don't have a lot of hangups like a lot of people have about that. We all work together and we worked as a team. We had a goal and we did things together. And when you do and you work in that kind of a circumstance, color, race, sexual orientation, it goes away. You have to depend on that person next to you. Sometimes you have to depend on that person for your life. That's a big change. That will make you trust that person pretty, pretty quick and, and put some of those crazy ideas out of your head. So I feel very, very blessed that I had that opportunity. I also was a commander twice. I feel very blessed that I got to lead people of that diverse of a mix. Um, and even more proud that when I, we get these things called climate surveys, which they talk about how people feel in your particular squadron or your and I always did very, very well. And that meant probably was more important to me than anything else I did in the military was, was how I treated my people and how they treated me and that kind of thing. So, so one final question, because we are running out of meeting time. Um, and that is a business question. Um, how do you think people in the suburbs of Massachusetts will take to your business plan uh, about bring back small jobs as well as mid-wage uh, mid mid jobs? Um, will they be attracted to it or what would, what do you think they need to see more of? No, I think, go ahead. No, no, just saying it's a quick one. So, sure. no, I think, well, generally I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there because I think it's very important. You've talked to all the democratic, um, candidates. They all come from one of two cities and towns. And I don't know, I wish I could hold up the map. I have it right here, but if you see our district, 
Newton and Wellesley and Brookline are way up north. There's 34 cities and towns in this district. You take away those three, right? There's still, I gotta do math, right? There's still 31, 31 that are not represented. I'm the only one down this area. So I, in my opinion, this is a, an area for this particular working class people, professional people, you know, that are out there doing contractors, you know, dentists, doctors, those kinds of things. There's a lot of us out here, and I feel that that particular group or this group, sort of the middle class, and, and I hate to say that because it's a very, very broad group of people, but I would say working class has not been represented in years and years and years. Um, I'm actually reading, I'm reading another report right now that actually says that about the Congress, about the U.S. representative seat in particular not being represented or not representing the working class and has not for years just because we're perpetuating this group of people that live up in that area that have a whole lot of money. I'll never have, I will never have that much money. Um, I will, I have, I've had to work and, you know, I think that's where, what we're going. I think that I probably have more in common with the people in the rest of the district, if you would, because I would be willing to bet that they've had to work very, very hard to make sure that their families are fed and to make sure that their kids get to go to a nice school and so forth. So I'm hoping that I'm the person that can represent them and that they will be willing to come out when they see that, hey, there's a person that is going to represent them. So. Um, we're going to cut it off right here. It's been really interesting to have a Republican and someone from the southern portion of the district on the show today. Um, just for our viewers, if they would like to read more about you, where should they go? Okay, so I do have a campaign page, so that's a good place to go, and it's um, Hall for Congress, so uh, .com. So hallforcongress.com will bring you to my campaign page. All of the information is there, all my issues. I'm actually modifying a couple of them. You know, it's, it's interesting, and that's the other thing too. As you learn new things, you have to be willing to, to change uh, when you get new information. So I'm perfectly open to those kinds of things. I learn every time I have an interview like this, I learn new things because now I'm going to mm -hmm. go look up something I didn't know about. So, um, so that's good. Uh, and so if you want to go there, I also have a Facebook page and that's um, Julie Hall, one word, juliehall.us. And then my Twitter, my Twitter is more complicated because it's case sensitive. Um, so I think, uh, let me figure out what the Twitter is real quick. So it's, um, yes, it's Hall, H-A-L-L -L, with a capital H for uh, Congress, which is with a capital C and then M-A with a capital M-A. Why? Because somebody had all for Congress already. So, <laughs> um, I, right. So I had to go in there and do it. Um, and then I just, just recently gone on to, I know people call it parlor, but it's parlay. I think, I think it really is. It means because parlay means to speak, right? So yep. parlay. All right. So I just uh, opened up that right there. So you can get me on that, all of those three things, but I think the campaign page, who went on the campaign page? And so it's beautiful, isn't it? You did. I think it's very nice. Yes. Listen, I didn't make it so I can say that. So when I first opened it up and the gentleman said, go look at it, I was just like, it was, you know, open it up when it's dark because that <laughs> just a crazy, I know. So all yeah. right. Thank you. Thank you all very, very Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you, Colonel.
Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye.